hint about. And so today what I want to share to you is, again, why we do what we do and what Rancho Christi is all about and why I am a missionary and why I have chosen that as my mission field. We're going to do a quick experiment, if you don't mind. If you're willing and if you're able to, and if you're a parent or a, of a college-age student or younger, would you mind standing up for me, please? If you're a parent of a college-age student or younger, would you mind standing up for me, please? Yeah, there we go. Awesome. Okay. Kind of take a look around. Um, if you are a college-age student or younger, could you please stand up? If you're a college-age student or younger, would you mind standing up for me, please? Okay. If, you're, if you have grandchildren that are college-age students or younger, would you mind standing up with me, please? And we can stay standing, please. If you're a grandchild, grandchildren... If you have grandchildren that are student, <laughs> if you work with children's ministry, youth group, or age, college age groups together, would you mind standing up for me? If you have nieces or nephews who are college age students or younger, would you mind standing up for me? All right, that's almost everybody, almost. Okay, now, if you've ever seen a college age student younger or younger, would you please stand up for me? Anyone st sitting down, I imagine you cannot stand or you just, you're just, God bless you, we'll pray about that. But uh, either that or you are walking around with your eyes closed. Uh, but look, look around. The whole church should be standing up and that is a sign that it is our responsibility. No one is off the hook when it comes to witnessing to our children and equipping them and preparing them for the hostilities that they will face when they walk out into the real world. Thank you for standing. You can have a seat now. We should all be standing because as Christians, we are the ones who are responsible for training up the next generation. No one is exempt. No one is off the hook. Here's the question about our students that God has entrusted us. Who is waiting for our students? If we're supposed to be training them and bringing them up, what for? What are the dangers that are out there we're supposed to be training them up for? Uh, are our young students ready to meet these people, because you know what? There are people who are waiting for our students. Because when they leave the safety of our homes, the safety of our church groups, the safety of our student groups, when they're out there for the first time on their own, making decisions for themselves without us there looking over their shoulder, are they prepared to make the right decisions? Are they prepared to be able to stand for what they believe? Students grow up in our churches or in our homes for at least 18 years, right? And then they go off to, uh, to college. And yes, there are people, professors, waiting for our students just like them. In philosophy 101, they're going to talk about the big issues of life, the meaning of life, world religion, whether or not God exists or not, and morality itself, what's right or wrong, what's good or bad. You're going to talk about these things in regular freshman age or freshman uh, level uh, classes. Uh, a topic's going to be offered. They're going to be discussing their ideas. And immediately, based on those discussions, they're going to be able to find out and, and point out the Christians who are sitting in that classroom. Because Christians are going to hold to what the Bible says. Christians are going to hold to that there is a God. And Christians are going to point to their, to their Bible as their source of information. Most Christians. Even that today is being challenged within the church. And it's a big problem. Because if they weren't intimidated already, these students are going to back out. These students are going to keep their mouths shut. These students are going to fall away a little bit from what they believe. Because of the intimidation factor that they're going to have to face. Because of the fact that they are not prepared. Professors can actually single out these students and actually prepare their lectures, prepare their questions to go against what they already know the Christian students are going to bring to their classroom. And if they're not prepared, they are going to get eaten up, chewed up, spit out, and just beaten up by the time they're done with their college uh, studies. Professors like to ask questions to respond first. As if I dare you to answer this question. Bring out that Bible that I know that you're going to carry with you or bring it to this guy. I dare you to do that. Because they're ready to pounce all over them. Most of the students, again, they're going to surrender or avoid being embarrassed or embarrassing Jesus Christ. And because of that, they keep their mouths shut and they lose the argument for not even participating in it. 
They're even challenged the Bible that they read, saying, oh, it's full of contradictions. Or don't you know it's been written by man? Don't you know it's been translated over and over again? How can you trust that book of fables, that book of just nonsense, make-believe, things that people want it to be true? And students are, are, are hit with these things for the first time and, re- and start to realize, wait a minute, I never heard this in church. I never heard this in my classrooms at, at church Sunday schools. Why, why didn't the pastor tell me about this? Why didn't the, the, the teachers there, why didn't they show w- Were they hiding something? They, the, do they know that this stuff is true, that there are these contradictions in the Bible, that these things have been rewritten by man and on and on and go? So why didn't they tell me that? None of that's true, by the way. But... They think that because they, they hear the professor with all these fancy letters after his name, Ph.D., M.D., Elemental P, X, Y, Z, all these na- na- letters after their name, these guys must know it all. By the way, I'm paying them thousands of dollars to teach me. They must know something. It becomes a, a battle between the pastor and the professor. And too many times we put too much influence on the professor. Instead of the pastor. Now let me tell you this. Get the, don't, don't make the pastor's job any harder than it is. I work closely with a lot of pastors. And they are overworked as it is. But the pastor is supposed to come up here every, summer, uh, every Sunday morning. To summarize what you have already been doing at home on your own. Too many times. If Sunday is the only time you open the Bible. Uh, it's not their fault that you are ill-equipped. Every day. We're supposed to study, read, ask questions, get into the word of God, pray, worship. And then on Sunday morning, we just get to do it with everyone else. But too many times, this is the only source that we hold to. And that becomes a problem. Because when we face those hard questions, those, those supposed contradictions, we don't know what to say. And so let me tell you a little bit of what Ratio Christie does and why we do it. If I can get this thing to work. You may have to unplug and plug that back in. Uh, the, my remote there. Let me tell you a little bit about what Rasha Christie does and why we do it. Uh, one of the problems that we're going to find with Rasha Christie is, again, the, the, the fact that Christians are ill-equipped. By the way, Rasha Christie is just a fancy Latin way of saying the reason or the rationality of Christ. We believe in Christ for good reason. We believe in Christ because it's rational. It makes the most sense to believe. In Jesus Christ. And so that's what we do when we talk about if Rasho Christie. Your time, and we'll I keep would going. Like Don't worry. I'm good with that. As long as I know that's working, we're good. So again, rationality, reason for Christ. This is why we do it. And why do we do it? Well, because there's this thing out there that's called apologetics that most of us don't even realize exists. Apologetics, by the way, is not the study of apologizing. I'm not walking around on campus saying, hey, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I believe in Jesus. I'm sorry. No, apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to make a defense, as if I'm in court and I need to make my defense, right? Apologia means to make that defense. And so apologetics is that branch of Christian theology that seeks to address the intellectual obstacles that keep people from taking their faith seriously. This is what we do. We want to make sure that you know why you believe what you believe, not because you feel a certain way, but because it's true. Because if you come to Christ based on feeling, you're going to leave based on feeling. One day you're going to be happy with God. The other day you're going to be angry with God and you'll walk away. But if something is true, it doesn't matter whether you're happy or not happy about it. It's true. So the only way you could deny Christ, deny God, is to walk away from truth itself. That becomes a you problem. It's not a God problem. It's not a truth problem. So this is what we do, and the reason why we do it is because of three factors I, sh- I want to share with you. First of all, I want to show you what the problem is. I'm going to show you what I think is the possible good solution and how you can be a part of that. So first of all, what the problem is, is that there are what we call neo-atheists, or just a fancy way of saying the new atheists are out there, and they're evangelizing to our children. I don't know if you recognize that atheists can evangelize. I don't know if you recognize that professors who don't believe in God or think that you're dumb for, for believing in God in the first place can't spread what they believe to be their good news. And you know what? They're doing it much better than the church. So much more. Look at, the, look at the country today. Look at the laws that are being passed today. Look at the things that Christians today are struggling with today. It's because they are evangelizing. Let me give you some examples. Daniel Dennett who is an atheist, he's considered to be one of the four horsemen of the new atheists. 
he has come out saying, uh, he's a very influential professor, and he has come out saying things such as, they will see me as just another liberal professor trying to cajole them out of their convictions. And they are dead right about that. That's what I am. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. He's very honest about his intentions to get you to stop believing what you believe. In fact, probably the most famous atheist in the world today, his name is Richard Dawkins. He has written this book here called The God Delusion. Again, he's spreading his good news. He's pressing his good book. He wants you to know the truth that will set you free. And in this book, he says this. When one person suffers from a delusion, it's called insanity. When many people suffer from a delusion, it's called religion. If this book works as intended, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. That's his good news. That's what he's spreading. And he's spreading it out all over the world. And he's become very famous for spreading that. He's an evangelist for his atheism. Another, another professor named Steve Weinberg from the University of Texas and a Nobel Prize winner has said this. I personally feel that teaching of modern science is corrosive to religious belief, and I'm all for that. If science can destroy the religious belief, uh, uh, can destroy the influence of religion on young people, then I think it may be the most important contribution we can make. He's a scientist. He's a Nobel Prize winner. And the most important contribution he believes he can make is destroying your religion. Instead of, on college campuses, what I believe is the most important country is to teach you how to think, not what to think. How to think, how to reasonably come to the answers that you are, are looking for, searching for. But instead, no, I want to take all of your beliefs and just completely destroy them. I don't care if it's true or not, I just want to destroy it. I don't want that. It's the most uh, important thing we can do. That's the reality of what goes on on our college campuses. According to a survey done uh, at uh, George Mason University and Harvard University, we have found a couple of problems. One of them is that one in four professors is either an atheist or an agnostic. An atheist is someone who does not believe in a God. There is no God to an atheist. An agnostic is someone who doesn't know if he can, if he doesn't know if there is a God. He doesn't know if anyone can know if there is a God. So one out of four, 26% of the, uh, the professors there are, are atheists or agnostics. You know, that's higher than general population. The moment you step onto a college campus, you are in hostile territory. You're safer walking out the streets, uh, walking the streets of the park here, walking around a neighborhood, and not having to deal with the hostility of agnosticism or atheism. But once you step onto a college campus, it, it, it's 26%. That's, that's huge. That's pretty big. It's a fourth. And of those uh, 26%, 6% of the professors there believe that the Bible is the actual word of God. That means 94% don't believe that the Bible is the word of God. For all the reasons that I mentioned earlier, 51% of those uh, professors say that the book, the Bible, is just an uh, uh, ancient book of fables, of legends, of history, of moral precepts. It's stuff that men wrote down that they wanted to be true because they liked it, it felt good, and this is what they wanted to believe in and base their culture on. And lastly, like I said earlier, the majority of uh, more than half of the professors actually find Christian students who are sitting in their classroom. They look at them unfavorably. They don't like the fact that you're a Christian and sitting in their classroom. In fact, some of the professors will say at the beginning of the class, hey, if you're a Christian, if you believe in religious and things like that, leave that stuff at the door. We don't practice that here. But again, if our Christianity, if our religion is true, how can we leave truth at the door? Why not bring it in the door and reason together? No. The idea is to destroy it, to keep it outside. We don't want that to be part of our thinking today. So that's the kind of the ch that's the challenge that we're facing today in our universities. They have unfavorable feelings. And the thing that is happening is we have these these uh, other organizations that are secular student alliance organizations that are completely atheistic. They don't believe in any god. They don't want anybody to believe in any kind of religion. And if you look at the numbers here, they have tripled their numbers over the last 6 years. Their goal is to place a a secular student alliance on the campus of every college in the United States. And they've tripled their numbers. They've been very successful because of their evangelism. If you check on their website, they are very aggressive in evangelizing. 
In fact, like I said, of those, the, those numbers that they've tripled, many of them are now in high school. I've been fortunate enough to get into the high school of my hometown. I, I, I'm from East Chicago. I get to go there and, and teach apologetics to some of the students there after, after school Bible studies that they have there. So I get to teach there, and they love it. But I say this, McDonald's gets it, Nike gets it, all the hip-hop artists get it. They target the children. Why? Because that's the long-term investment. If I can get the children, I've got them for the rest of their years. The same thing with the secularists, the, secularists, the atheists. They understand this. If we can get them to doubt God in their earlier ages, that's the long-term investment. We won't have to deal with God later on. They'll be completely destroyed out of their lives. But as a Christian, if I can get them to believe in God, what's that verse? Train up a child in the way of God, and when he grows old, he will not depart from it? Yeah, that's real. The, the, the atheists understand that verse too, except they use it opposite of the way we do. If they can untrain their child in the way of God, right? That's the problem. They are evangelizing. And those are just the intellectual challenges that we face. But they're not the only challenges. There's a powerful moral challenge on campus. And when we start paying attention to what's going on on our college campuses, the things that you will see and learn about will shock you. They will scare you. I mean, think, I was just talking in between the services today to some of those parents here. I've heard about this. I didn't know it was there. If you have a child growing up in the church, God bless you, uh, let them continue to learn, let them continue to be equipped. Because students who have grown up all their lives in their church and they go to the university and they don't know how to be immoral, they can take a class on it. They can learn. They can be encouraged to, to be immoral. And in fact, the, the university will hold events so that they can celebrate their immorality. This is what happens at the university, the place that we send our children to for a higher education. And don't think it's not just uh, the secular universities. Uh, the Christian universities are getting just as bad. And it's not just, again, the college. The students don't have to wait to get to colleges. High schools are starting to fall into this too. I, I'm at the high school as, on a regular basis as much as I can. My wife works at the high school on a daily basis, and we see it. And it's, it's so hard. We're, we're running upstream because the, the, the ideas of today have permeated the university and the, and, the, and the high schools. Where is the church at? The church is a huge missing component. We need to be as aggressive, if not more so, than our counterpoint, the atheist. They're trying to, they're trying to get in there, and these are just peaks of what's going on. All the intellectual classes, they're anti-Christian, and they're proving to become, they're, they're, they're thinking that they're becoming smarter now because they're becoming less religious. They're becoming more scientific, and on and on it goes. There's an author named Charles Potter who wrote a book called Humanism, A New Religion. And humanism is just another fancy word for atheism. We just believe in humanism, just us. And he thinks that uh, it's a brilliant strategy to take over the education system and win the hearts and minds of the next generation. He's quoted as saying this in his book, uh, Humanism, A New Religion. Education is thus the most powerful ally of humanism, and every American public school is a school of humanism. What can the theistic Sunday schools, meeting for only an hour a week or once a week, teach, teaching only a fraction of the children, what can they do to stem the time of a five-day program of humanistic teaching? Are our students, the children in our youth group, in our churches, are they ready to face the challenges that exist in our culture? Well, when we look at the data, the answer is clearly no. They are not ready. We are losing students anywhere from 60 to 80%. If I lined up 10 students on this stage right now, six to eight of them will not be Christian by the time they leave uh, high school and done with their university studies. Leaves us with only maybe four left. That's too big. That's way too big of how many students we're losing. In this book called Soul Searching, written by a man named Christian Smith, he takes a look at the spiritual lives of the American teenager. And one of the key findings that he finds is that our teens are incredibly inarticulate about what they believe, about their faith. They discover that young people aren't sure, first of all, they're not even sure what they believe, or secondly, why they would believe it. They don't know what they believe. Yeah, I heard about this Jesus guy. We talked about it in church. We danced around and sang about him a lot. I don't know why. The I don't know what the difference between Jesus is and Muhammad. 
They both seem like pretty good guys to me. They both wrote some books, right? Students have no idea. I mean, I, I visited a couple youth groups, and I had to argue with the Christian students. Broke my heart. Breaks my heart today still, because I know I'm going to have to face more at the, at the youth groups. They might come up with good cliches, but it's very superficial. They cannot get deep into their theology of knowing why they believe what they believe. They are inarticulate. So when you do the math, you get in, in, inarticulate, uninformed Christian teenagers, and you put them in a secular, hostile, aggressive college campus, that equals them walking away. And it happens far too often. We hear these stories every day. The second point in that book that, that's been written as these guys were doing research is that the number one reason they were walking away from the church was because of intellectual skepticism and doubt. They didn't believe all the things that we've been telling them here every day in church. They started to say certain things like, well, it didn't make sense anymore. Some stuff is just too far-fetched for me to believe. I think scientifically now there's no real proof. There's too many questions that just can't be answered. They didn't know what they believed, and they had no reasons for why they should believe it. So they walked away. They're made in the image of God. They're rational creatures. Of course, if, you cannot, if, they, don't, if they don't know good reasons why they should stay, they will walk away. Problem is, Christianity has so much evidence that it's undeniable they just don't know those evidences. They haven't been taught those evidences. It's there. And this is what we, as like I said, as Rasio Krisky, this is what we do. I know that's not a, a happy topic that I need to present to you, but I want to open your eyes to some of the challenges that are facing students here in our local communities. This isn't happening somewhere far off. This is right here in Hammond, Indiana. And all the students around it. Again, it's just it's it's a problem in our community that we need to face and take head on it can't be all put on the pastor he's here sunday morning to summarize all the stuff that we are supposed to be doing at home i'm hoping that this is a wake-up call and that you are encouraged to do something about this that you are encouraged that something must be done we need to change these things around i need to get this kind of news out to my pastor my youth pastors my family my friends all these people we need to know what we can do and the question naturally follows well what is it what can we do well this is where i like to present what i believe is a good solution do we lock the doors and just circle around our children and say, no, no, no one's going to touch them. They're going to stay safe right here, and they're only going to hear us for the rest of their lives. It's impractical. It's unrealistic. That's not, never going to happen. I want to uh, offer a different strategy, a different approach. I don't, I don't want us to hear these things and go into a defensive posture that the church has often taken. We're just going to hide and hide and protect and can't hide and hide. No, I want to go on the offensive. I want to get out there and, oh, think of this. I want to go to the ends of the world and make disciples of all nations. Ever hear that before? That's what I want to do. So the idea is not to isolate your children, but to inoculate them, to prepare them, to inject them with truth and give them the arguments and understanding so that when they do face these kind of oppositions, they're prepared for it. They're prepared for ideas. And you could send them out confidently knowing that wherever they're at, they're prepared. They're ready. You give them every opportunity to hear these claims first from us, an explanation, instead of letting them hear them from some stranger out there who doesn't believe, who do, who's going to turn them against us. I don't want them to hear that stuff from them first. I want them to hear it from me first, which means I need to be equipped. Paul gives us warnings in, in Colossians uh, chapter 2. He says this, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Paul isn't saying to stay away from philosophy altogether, but to stay away from the philosophy of men and their false ideas. So instead, we need to be captive by truth, which leads to Jesus Christ. Again, we need to recapture the minds of our young people. And I want to show you some ideas, some solutions. I want to suggest four steps that we need to take as a church to be able to reverse this trend that's happening on our college campuses. First of all, we need to elevate our expectations of our young people. Too many times we, we think, okay, we got to keep their attention, so we got to play uh, louder music. We got to play more festive games. We got to come up with these weird, fun things for them to do. And if there's time later, then we'll, we'll give them a, a verse or two. 
I say this a lot uh, to some youth pastors, and it shocks them. I say the problem with most youth groups is two things, too much prayer, too much worship. Like, wait, what, 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 prayer, worship? Yeah, because how do I learn to pray without first studying deeply the Word of God? How do I learn to worship without first studying deeply the Word of God? But when I pray and ask for things that I want, that I want, give God, give me, give me, give me, God, God give me, you said you're going to give me this, so give me. And I don't understand the, the biblical foundations of asking, the biblical foundations of prayer altogether. If I worship based on feeling, 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 oh, I like this song, I like that song, feeling, 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 and I don't understand the biblical foundation of worship, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to God based on feeling, which means I can easily walk away from God based on feeling. One day I'm going to be happy with God. One day I'm going to be angry with God. But the truth of God's word is what's going to hold me there. So we need to elevate the expectations. Too many times we think they, they, they just don't know enough. When I was at the high school, I decided at the beginning of the year, hey, you know what? I'm going to teach them, or at the beginning of their semester, uh, I decided, hey, I'm going to teach them something uh, called the Kalam Cosmological Argument. Students would look at me at the beginning of that class, what is that? What? I can't even say that. But I went through the teaching, broke it down for them very simply so that they would understand. And at the end of all my sessions, I always ask for Q&A. Ask me anything you want about anything. One of them asked me, when are you coming back again? I want to hear more. I challenged them. I brought something into them. They had no idea. But they said, I like that. I need that. I want to hear more. When are you coming back so I won't miss it? The Kalam Kalasmological argument, they wanted to hear about it. You probably have never heard about it before, but it's out there, and it's a good defense about God being the creator of all things. And they loved it. I didn't have to dummy it down for them. I elevated the expectations, and they met it. Secondly, I think we need to equip their minds. We need to make sure that they are ready for everything that they are going to have to uh, eventually come, become a part of. It's part of the greatest command that Jesus gives us. He tells us, first of all, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Or different translations it will say, with all of your understanding. Understanding God. Understanding the word of God. To love it, to embrace it, to let it become a part of who you are. To love God that way. Paul also identifies that when Paul says this. Hey, listen to this. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by your developing a, a, a close emotional relationship for Jesus. Does that sound right? No, right? Hopefully some of you guys caught that doesn't say that. It doesn't say to uh, trans be transformed by developing close emotional feelings for Jesus. It says to do it by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing or the uh, upgrading of your understanding. So even Paul says we must understand why we believe what we believe. Of all the Christian disciplines, Paul could have elevated any one of them, but he points out our understanding. Renewing our mind is going to play a major role in our transformation, and we need to help our children love God with their minds, not denying heart, soul, strength, but our minds, our understanding of who he is. Teach them what they believe, that's the theology, and then teach them why to believe it. That's the apologetic, the reasoning, the defense of it all. It's not enough to just give true beliefs anymore. We have to equip them with why that's behind the what. We equip them with knowledge. This is to justify their belief. We want them to know when they leave the churches and their homes that, they act, that what they actually believe is true. Otherwise, when everyone else is out there and they say it often enough and loudly enough, they're going to be swayed by every wind of teaching. And we don't want that to happen. If our young people are going to do this, we have to equip them. Apologetics is essential to discipleship of, our st of the students of our, uh, of our modern culture. It's not optional. We cannot say, oh, that could wait till later. Because later is coming, becoming too late now. So I believe Rational Christie is a great resource for being able to do this. We don't have this kind of blind faith that most of the atheists will uh, uh, um, consider us having, accuse us of having. Blind faith that, uh, because they've taken that word faith. You know, do you realize they steal our words? Faith? They say faith is believing in something either contrary to the evidence or believing in something without any evidence. And that's not the kind of faith we have. We have faith because of the evidence. Because God has created all things and left his fingerprints on everything that was created. 
and left a great history behind of all the things that he's done since then, we can then trust in the things to come. Because he has a, such an awesome track record. Well, you know what? God is such a good God. God is such a powerful God. God is such an all-knowing God that even though I can't see it, I can walk forward in the steps of God because of a great track record, and I have faith in him. Not because, oh, I just believe just because I believe. No, that is blind faith. And they've stolen our word faith and made us believe that it means something that it does not. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, but in your hearts, First of all, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer for anyone who asks you for the, to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. This is a command. Always be prepared to give an answer. Are we prepared to answer even just our children when they have questions? It's a command. We are to be prepared. So equipping our students, equipping our children. Uh, the next step that I would like to suggest is engaging them with experiences, talking to them, having real conversations with them, getting engaged with the real world. One of the things I love about uh, being a part of Rational Christie is that I'm not out here in the field someplace safe just throwing bombs out there hoping I hit somebody with truth. Hey, I think I got that guy. Hey, there's some people over there. Let me throw something over there. No, I'm not doing that. What I do is I get boots to the ground. I walk on the campus. I hang out with the students. I go to the high school, and I hang out with the students, and I talk to them, and I sit there, and I listen to their questions one-on-one -on -one or in a group setting, whatever needs to be done to make sure that they are equipped and their questions are answered. When I first started going to the university, I heard some stories about students leaving the, the, the Christian clubs there because, oh, well, you couldn't answer my question. Or just stop calling me. I don't want to hear any more about that. Uh, I heard something else now. And when I got there, I mean, I r rose up a, a righteous anger. I said, no, never again. Not anymore. Not while I'm here. You may lose students, but it's not going to because, be because you can't answer their questions. We're on a university. This is where they come to ask questions, to be educated. So if you lose somebody, it may be because of any other reason, but not because we can't answer their question. To me, that's unacceptable at a college campus. And so I'm passionate about this, getting out there and doing this. This is a, a time where, where I was there at, with the high schoolers. I sit there, and I talk to them, and I gauge with them, and I give them these kind of facts, and they love it. And Rational Christie is the first organization in the country to start hiring full-time missionary apologists to open up campus ministries and to work with local churches, local student groups, anybody who will have me. I will go and speak and talk to them and share with them and let them know there are good reasons to believe what you believe. If I can share a couple of testimonies. This is Matt. He is a, a leader of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Purdue Cal. And he says, RC is a great group. Uh, for uh, Christians who want to understand their faith and be able to defend it. He's a leader of a different Christian group, and he understands the need for this. And so I partner with InterVarsity all the time with their events and the things that they do. Uh, another one, this is Ashley. She's a, a co-editor for the Purdue Chronicler. Okay, it's a newspaper that they put out. And she says, this is an answer to prayer. I heard about this group. I wanted to start it here, and they're starting one. She understood. Before I even got there, I was just getting started. She knew this was coming. She couldn't wait. She started to attend different meetings that I was holding before I was even on campus. Students are hungry for this. They want this. They didn't realize you can use science, history, and philosophy to defend God. This is Michelle. She was the leader. She was the president of Chi Alpha, another Christian college ministry. And she says this. Look, I learned that you, uh, she says, I learned that you uh, cannot have, you cannot be blind in your faith. Non-believers have a ton of reasons for not following Christ, but as a believer, you need two tons of reason as why you should. So again, notice it starts with us. We need to elevate our expectations of our students. We need to equip them. We need to engage them in experiences. And the other thing is we need to embody the truth as parents, as grandparents, as uncles and aunts and cousins and friends and students ourselves, we need to embody this. We need to live this out. This needs to be passionate in us to be able to study the Word of God and study the Word of God and then study the Word of God. After you've done all that, learn to defend the Word of God. You cannot defend what you don't know. So I'm not emphasizing apologetics to the point that we put the Bible down. You put the Bible up first, get it all in your head, and then, okay, let me see how, how, let me see how I'm supposed to defend this. But we need to embody this. And the way we do this is be intentional. 
Be intentional about what I do every day, how I wake up every morning, what I'm going to do with the time that God has allotted me today. I have two boys. And I gave them very unique names, very specific names, very intentional names. Even when I was having children, I was being very intentional about what I was doing. So people always say, hey, those are cool names. My first boy, his name is Apollos, which is Spanish for Apollos. Okay? Acts chapter 18. I read about this man named Apollos, an eloquent man who came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. That's the kind of man I'm expecting him to be. Then I had my, my baby, who is Ezra. Ezra was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and teaching its decrees and the laws in Israel. Again, people say, hey, those are really cool names. I like those names. And to me, it wasn't about being really cool, being, hey, I want to have kind of different names. No, these were goals that I was setting for my children before they were born. That every time I call Apollos or Ezra, I am reminded of the fact that they need to be enthusiastic. They need to be well-trained. They need to be mighty in the scriptures and able to teach with accuracy. It's a constant reminder to me every time I call their name. I am reminded of why I named them what I named them. I'm being very intentional. They need more than me. They need more than mom. They need the church to rise up and to help them realize that they're on the right path. Besides the truth, besides the, the scriptures, they need to know, hey, there's other people out there that I can get together with. I'm not alone in this. And so that's why I want to show you how, or this is why I want to show you how you can help, how you can be a part of this. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to be able to do what I do. This is why I'm a missionary. To go where people who are unable to go or unwilling to go. As a missionary, I want to show you that, first of all, you can join us in prayer. Because, like I said, there is a lot of spiritual obstacles out there. There's a lot of challenges out there that I cannot get through by myself. Unless God go before me, I'm not going to make it on my own. Unless a prayer path has made before me, I'm not going to be able to make it on my own. Now, God has called me to do this, so I believe I will eventually get there. But it's going to be a lot harder without people praying for me or praying with me. Because I will be praying, too. But I need people who can join me in prayer. Secondly is strategic partnership. People who would join me in, in spreading the word, letting people know, everybody who stood up, if you have a child, if you're a parent, if you have a cousin, uncle, niece, nephew, anybody, let them know that such a ministry exists in this area for them to take advantage of. I am a resource. If they can't come to the university, they invite me to your church or into your group. By the way, I do plenty of seminars or teachings, events all across this area. It's free. It's open to everybody at any time. I make sure it's designed that way so that anybody could come. Let me show you. These are the, these are the rational Christies across North America, across the United States. There's a couple outside of the United States as well. Anybody see Hammond, Indiana? Let me give you a little closer look of Hammond, Indiana. It looks like. You see, it? you see it there up in the corner? Do you see the amount of area I would have to cover because there's no other apologetics ministry in this area that I know about. And I've reached out and I've looked. A couple of churches here and there may be doing apologetics classes within their own little church. But something that's being outreached or trying to affect the community with apologetics, I don't see anything. I don't find anything. I've gone up as far north as Schaumburg, Illinois, and as far north, uh, south as Columbus, Indiana, to be able to do this. That's a lot of territory for one person to, to commit to. There's hundreds of high schools, there's hundreds of universities that I pass that no one is doing apologetics ministry, teaching students how to defend their faith, why they believe what they believe. So being a strategic partner, spreading the news about what we're doing, I think will be a huge advantage to gather people, to train up other people so that it wouldn't be just me. There'd be someone here, there'd be someone there, there'd be someone somewhere able to reach more people than I'll probably ever meet. Lastly, would, become, would be becoming a financial partner. If this is something that you feel like this is something important, this is something I want to be a part of, this is something I want to claim ownership of and invest in financially and be able to say to someone else, hey, have you heard about my group? This is my group here. It's called Rational Christie. This guy here, Gene, he leads it, he teaches, and that's my group. You should go check it out sometime. 
because it's a good group, and I'm going to be there, and I'm going to support it, or I'm going to let somebody else know that it's there. It's my group. You take ownership of it. And I'm passionate about meeting with people like that, sitting down having coffee with you or lunch and telling you, hey, let me tell you what we've done so far. Let me tell you about some of the impact that we've had at the university. This church does support me as a church, but as an individual, you can do the same thing. And as a church, I would like to share one experience with you. Uh, in December 8th of last, this past year, last month, uh, I did have a student say, hey, I'm bringing a friend this week. Awesome, great. Yeah, he's got some questions about Christianity. Okay, yeah, bring him in. Oh, and uh, he's a Muslim. Ah, makes it even more exciting. He doesn't believe in the Trinity. He doesn't believe Jesus Christ was God. Shows up to Ratio Christie with Quran in hand. And, and in Arabic, I, I couldn't read any of it, but it was there. And that, that day, the lesson was on the empty tomb. I was showing them all the evidence of the empty tomb and how the empty tomb makes sense and how it makes sense that the only way that, that that tomb could have been emptied was by Jesus being resurrected. So he sat there, listened patiently, kindly, respectfully. And then afterwards, we started our 30-minute second discussion on who Jesus was because he did not believe Jesus was God. He does not believe Jesus ever claimed to be God. Well, after showing them tons of scriptures that Jesus, yes, did indeed uh, claim to be God, and spending a half hour showing him all kinds of different things and answering all of his questions, he walked away saying, I see your point. I'm going to take a closer look at those Gospels. So a Muslim who showed up with Quran in hand in Arabic walked away with Bible in hand saying, I'm going to read those Gospels. Whether or not he becomes a believer or not, I don't know. But the fact that I was there to answer his questions and show him the truth of Christianity, the truth of who Jesus really was, influenced him enough to at least consider reading those Gospels. That's a huge step for a Muslim who are in danger of being rejected by their family, in danger of, beating, uh, of being beaten, and in danger of just being uh, ridiculed because they take their faith very seriously. In fact, I enjoy speaking with them because they will debate, they will argue, and they know why they believe what they believe. That's the kind of uh, uh, partnerships that I would like to have with you to be able to share these things with you. So we need to be able to work together on these things. And there's plenty of scriptures that back this up as to why we need to evangelize, why we need to be able to share these kind of truths. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 says we must demolish arguments of every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We need to demolish those arguments. Get rid of them because they're not true. They're false. Another verse, Titus, tells us that uh, he must hold firmly to the truth of, my, of the message uh, as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine, doctrine that makes sense. Philosophically, scientifically, historically, it makes the most sense. And when we're able to do all that, Proverbs tells us that uh, an appropriate answer brings joy to a person. And a well-timed word is a good thing. Can we do that? Can we present an appropriate answer to bring joy to someone? Can we give a well-timed verse to someone? That's a good thing. We're commanded to do it. We should be encouraged to do it. Unless we forget, we need to be able to realize that the opposition is out there. So like I said, whenever I do these kinds of informational teachings or teaching events, it's public. It's open to everyone. Look at RatioChristi.org. tells you more about the organization. It tells you more about the events that's there. If you're interested, looking up my name, you'll find more. Looking up Hammond or Purdue Cal, you'll find more about our events. If you're on Facebook, I'm on Facebook constantly. I, teach at, I, 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 I post things at least two or three times a day about the challenges that are going on in our local campuses, about the importance of defending and knowing why you believe what you believe, and biblical teachings as well. Remember, you cannot defend what you don't know. Everything I post on Facebook is also copied onto Twitter. Okay, I'm not a Twitter user. I know Pastor is, <laughs> Pastor Sean. But everything is on there, so you're not going to miss out on one of those two things. Check it out. Look into it. Become interested. Be passionate about it. And when I do these speaking events, there's a variety of topics I do. Jewish history and culture is another thing I'm passionate about besides science, history, and philosophy. Uh, why doesn't God intervene where people ask, well, if God's so strong and powerful, why do bad things still happen? 
people wonder about that and wonder, is there a God at all or does he just not care? Right. So we go through that. What about Christians in politics? We just had an election not too long ago. We've got another one coming up. What are we as Christians supposed to do? Just stand back and let the world run itself. Or are we as Christians supposed to be a salt and light to the world and be an influence? So we learn how to do that. What about this thing called gay rights? This is huge right now. Not just in the universities, in the high schools. It is huge. And most of these arguments are based on emotion. Oh, it just, it just doesn't feel right. Or it's not fair. Or it's about love. Those are all emotions. They're not intellectual good questions to ask. So I go over these, these things. What about abortion? Well, it's only one question. Is it a baby? Is it human? This is a big scientific thing, not a philosophical, not a religious thing. We can look at that. What about something like, what about Islam with ISIS and all this stuff? That's, what does Islam really teach? People say, well, it's this and it's that. Oh, it's not. It's a religion of peace and on and on it goes. Again, I just sat down with a Muslim and I can discuss his arguments with him. We need to be equipped to be able to do that. Science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. Right. I'm scientific today. Well, science doesn't say anything. It's the scientists who say this is right. That is wrong. But there are a lot of scientists who are really bad at philosophy. You cannot do science without philosophy to be able to know what is right and wrong, good or bad. And they're making decisions that aren't valid. Lastly, this whole thing about love, Jesus, hate religion. There's a huge thing. There's, in fact, a, a video on YouTube that went viral that was titled Love, Jesus, Hate Religion. Anybody seen it? No, just me, huh? One person, okay. Well, the author of that poem actually apologized for it. He said, there's things I said in there that are wrong. I should not have said it. If I could go back and do it again, I, I'd edit it. I'd get rid of some of that stuff. Because the person who wants to love Jesus and hate religion is the person who does not want to be held accountable to anything. Don't put any of those laws or those things on me that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just going to love Jesus and have a relationship with him. And as long as me and him are cool, it's all good. I can do whatever I want kind of attitude. But Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus says, why do you call me, Lord, Lord, yet not, yet not do the things that I've called you to? Sounds like we have to do some things, follow some rules in order to follow Jesus. So these are some of the things that we do, unless we forget that there are atheists out there who are uh, gunning for our children and saying things such as uh, Richard Rorty, who is another uh, atheistic professor who has great influence. And he says, we try to arrange things so that, uh, so that uh, students who enter in as bigoted, homophobic, religious fundamentalists will leave college with views more like our own. Bigoted, homophobic, religious fundamentalists, as if that is a bad thing. Or I'm not saying that. As if that's what we are. We are not bigoted. We are not homophobic. Being religiously fundamental, well, our, what are our fundamentals? Christianity, God, the Bible. And we have good reasons for believing those. But never forget that they are being intentional. That they are the ones who are out there spreading what they call their good news. And that they are being more effective than the church these days. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to get out there and be equipped and to engage and to elevate expectations and to embody the truth. To make this a part of our living lifestyle. This is what we are going to do. We are going to study and study and then study the Bible and then learn how to defend the Bible. And then make sure that our children, our students are doing it right along with us or seeing us do it and understanding why we're doing it. Because 60 to 80% of them will fall away unless we do something about that. So I want to encourage you. Take that step. Be more intentional. Make it a passion. Turn off the TV. Turn off the computer. Turn off the radio. Open the Bible and read it and study it and be passionate about it and love it. With all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, with all of your mind. Love it. And pass that love on to your children to our students, anybody that is out there that may be struggling. Most Christians or most people who want to be Christians are just one question away from believing, and they're struggling with that question. And if we could just answer that question, they're ready. They're ready to take it up. Are we equipped? Are we ready to prepare them to give an answer to anyone who asks? So that's my challenge to you. And I hope that you take it up. I hope that this was more of an encouragement than a downer. But again, it's a reality out there that we're going to have to face 
And let's take up that challenge. We're called to be warriors. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be overcomers. And we can't do that just by sitting around. We can't do that just by huddling together. We need to go out to the ends of the earth. There's so many commands to do what I'm doing. If you can't do it, help me do it. I'll be the hands and feet to take as far as I can. I'll help equip and train up the next generation so that we will change that statistic and turn it all around. Amen? Amen. If you don't mind, I'm going to end with a quick prayer. And uh, the worship team will come up and we'll kind of close. But Father God, Lord, we just want to say thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, Lord. Thank you for all that you are. And Father God, that we know without a shadow of a doubt that you created all things, that you did all things, Lord. And in that creation, Lord, we find evidence for your hand and your fingerprints upon all that you created, Lord. Not only did you create it, but you designed it in such a way that we could not deny that it was from you. And Father, I pray right now that we would take that all into account. That we would take that all into the ability to be able to say, I know that there's a God. I know why there's a God. I know that my God loves me. And I know that I'm supposed to tell you that God loves you. And so, Father, I pray right now, Lord, that we will be encouraged, that we will be stirred up, Lord, that we will be reminded of the words of Jeremiah where he said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I cannot keep it in. Indeed, I am tired of keeping it in. I cannot. I have to tell somebody. I have to get out there and witness and evangelize and equip and embody. I have to do all these things, Lord, because it is that fire shaken up in me. Father, I pray right now that we would be so convicted and so challenged and so encouraged that we can do this. We're commanded to do this. It is by your strength, by your will, by your spirit, because of your mercy and your grace that we are sinners, we are ill-equipped. But, Father, by your spirit, we can do all things, Father. Oh, Lord, that there's nothing we cannot do when you are on our, on our side or that when we become on your side. Father, as we embrace you as our heavenly Father, as our source of guidance, as we stick to your holy truths written in the Bible that you wrote to us for us to read daily and daily and daily. It's your word spoke, spoken to us. Father God, I pray right now that we would take that up right now, Lord, that we begin this whole new year with this new, uh, 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 this new affection for you, Lord, this new commitment to you, Lord, that we would not stray, that we would not tire, that we would not turn to the east or the west, Lord. We would look straight down that path that you've called us, Lord, and be effective and intentional, Lord, to reach those that are lost, Father. Every face that I see is a face that Christ died for, and I cannot walk away from them unless they've heard the truth of the gospel. I thank you, Lord, and I praise you in Jesus' name.